0: Hello and welcome to the Dad Podcast. I am your host, Justin Worsham. With me today on this fantastic day is our very own stand-up pediatrician, Doctor Jay Sute. How are you, sir?
1: I am doing great. How are things out in California, Justin?
0: Things are fantastic. On the day that we're having a good summer, I'm having a great summer. We went, uh, we've done the Universal Studios thing. Me and the boys actually today went and had our blood drawn for lab work. So oh, you
1: went with the kids
0: yeah, so i 'm doing the same clinic i 'm not diabetic, but i 'm doing the same clinic called Next Advanced Medicine that my dad went through to reverse his diabetes it's uh yeah, you know I might be curious just to get your opinion on this, but they they 're what they call themselves is a functional medicine clinic, uh, and i don 't know if in your line of thought that that is uh, a bunch of witch doctoring. But- no,
1: it sounds like they're 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 managing diseases, which I think is more of what medicine is going to be turning into very very soon, anyhow, uh, because that's uh, it's all man- diagnosing, managing, and what the outcomes are, and uh, it combines a lot of different uh, um, areas of study, and uh, I'm I'm starting to see that turn starting out here as well, so
0: um, yeah, you they know, something. The, the the lady that uh, kind of runs this thing, she's technically – this is what a lot of the people that are skeptical about her. They, she's technically a chiropractor, but she has a, a Ph.D. in uh, functional medicine with a focus in endocrinology. So diabetes is her thing. And well,
1: um, I, I'm already skeptical if she's a chiropractor. That means no medical school. So Correct. Yeah. So, I, I just saw my chiropractor this morning. I love my chiropractor. I go to a chiropractor, but I – See him for chiropractic things.
0: And she has, she partners with an MD who's at uh, the clinic, and insurance doesn't cover a lot of it, but like they basically took my dad, who was on a metformin medication, and they completely reversed his diabetes by walking him. They do a lot more testing. So, like they did a saliva test where I had to spit into a tiny vial um, to fill, I guess, like maybe five milliliters, maybe 10, I can't remember, but of, um, in this vial, right when I woke up before I ate, and then I do it again between like, I think it said noon, 11 and three or something like that. And then I do it again, uh, around dinner time. And then I do it again at around 10 o'clock at night and you know, when you last ate, and then they use that to figure out what your hormone levels were. I think they're mainly looking for cortisol and stuff to see if you're running out of it during the day. Um, and right. then, uh, and so then, and then of course I had to provide my own stool sample, which was outstanding. Uh, and then <laughs> today they took eight vials of my blood to do, uh, got something like 80 tests uh, uh, all over the place. And then after oh. that, they do kind of like a diet cleanse, where what they do is they reduce your diet. You go on that for about two weeks where you're eating very small meals, very limited options every three to four hours. And then they introduce a food, and then you test your blood sugar to see if anything in particular spikes your blood sugar. Like, they've had patients there who have autoimmune, make an autoimmunity to, like, things that are in cauliflower or broccoli. Right. So it's yeah. it's not, not to shit on, obviously, my dad's doctor, but it's something that they wouldn't prob- they wouldn't have ever yeah, tested him no, for.
1: It's not even on the radar. Exactly. Um, w- what I was going to say was um, it's, in, in, it's very similar to what uh, – the article I sent you about the uh, lone star tick. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That where things in your environment can change your ability to digest and 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 tolerate certain things. Because yes. the article that I sent you said that the the lone star uh, uh, tick uh, can uh, trigger you to become allergic to red meat. So a bite from the lone star tick can you know cause you to uh, sometimes. Uh, develop a beef intolerance, which is kind of scary to me.
0: And one of the things I'm most excited about this is the um, you, they walk you through. They have nutritionists that kind of yep, walk you it's through. It's a
1: team, right? A yep. team approach, almost like uh, when you go in to have your car done.
0: Yep. And so you'll spend like three hours at a grocery store with this nutritionist, and they'll have you walk through and go, what are the kinds of things that you're buying? And you'd say, oh, we usually get this, we get this, we get this. And then they go, okay, well, this is okay. Or uh, stay away from this. And they teach you how to read the labels and look for, you know, proportionate things and just help you balance out meals and and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to the education and hopefully it'll, I'm, not, I'm like point three, I think it is, away on my A1C from being pre-diabetic, but my cholesterol is a little high, but not bad. I mean, even the doctor said, she goes, you're going to be an easy case because you don't have a lot of problems. So it'll just get you under control. So you don't have problems yeah. as
1: you get older, so. Well, you didn't you didn't have any issues to begin with. Right. This is a preemptive strike.
0: Yes. So I have high. Like I said, I have high cholesterol. My good to bad cholesterol is really bad. So my cardiac risk ratio was bad. And for the and we have a history of this genetically, like all my family has this same kind of thing. And then they get older and they become diabetic. And so they were they wanted to put me on statins and. One of the things that I've learned through going to these seminars is that usually if you're on a statin, then you uh, become at a higher risk of becoming diabetic. So this is where she yep. gets she's she's not anti I shouldn't say anti big pharma. She's but she's she's against the idea of the, the current way of saying we're, we're going to put you on a medication and you're just going to sit on that medication in regards to a disease that uh, the medication doesn't reverse it. It just kind of stops it, if that makes sense. So like in her opinion, yeah, yeah, you take like yeah. a metformin for your diabetes, it, it lowers your blood sugar, but it usually will also raise your cholesterol, or I should say can. Um, and then and then, unless – this is the thing she, where she says, she goes, your doctor, it's not their fault. She goes, because of like insurance companies and just the way things are done now, they have a limited time for them to interact with you, and there isn't time for them to kind of really educate you and walk people through people that have no idea. Like so dumbasses like me that – Really, I think, like I said, I need a nutritional education. Uh, And so because I've been endorsing this product because of my dad at the radio station, I figure I'll go through them because, if anything, it'll just help the commercials. They're really helping a lot of people, in my opinion. But blah, blah, blah about me. The the, the first... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this before I move on, just on the off chance. Is there anything that I'm sitting here saying that you, as an MD doctor, are like...
1: That, Justin?
0: Or does it all sound like, yeah, oh, sounds great.
1: I, I just, you know, I, I'm i always going to feel better about somebody that's gone through medical school and residency and, and so forth. Uh, so, you know, uh, we have a couple kooky chiropractors around uh, these here parts too. So, um, you know, I, I think that chiropractors are great when they practice within the scope of what they went to school for. Just like as an MD now, I'm not going to uh, go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, take out someone's appendix, even though I assisted on it once or twice, you know what I'm saying? I totally it's understand. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's just different. But, and again, I have chiropractors out my way, some of whom, you know, outright tell parents that they're poisoning their kids by giving them uh, vaccines. And to me, oh yeah. no, 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 you no. Know, absurd and, uh, you know, I have to fight an uphill battle because a lot of the, the the crap that's, uh, you know, going on, but whatever, you know, we all have our, uh, Burden to bear. <laughs> well, uh,
0: speaking of burdens, this uh, first article, again, that you sent me is, I love this. I love I love this guy. I love everything about it. His name is Leonard Sachs. He's a family physician and psychologist. He's written a bunch of books like Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge. His latest one is called The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like Grownups. And when I first read that, I was like... Yeah, but I feel like you should be able to like my dad one of the things I noticed about him is that he never he never did baby talk or anything like he always talked to me like I was 30 years old. Ever
1: Yeah, my father never did a baby talk to me either.
0: But what he's talking about is not necessarily um in interaction or even expectation, but it's in uh I guess status, which is a very interesting way to look at it. Like he gives the example of you know, they're there because the kid's got a sore throat and the parents say, you know, when I like, how do you put it? I'm going to take a look at your throat. And the mother asked for the children's permission saying, do you mind if the doctor looks in your throat for just a second, honey? Afterward, right. we can go and get ice cream. Uh, this led to the child refusing to have the doctor look at her throat to do the strep test and the child having to be restrained to get the test accomplished. Right. He says, it's not a question. It's a sentence. Open up and say, ah. Parents are incapable of speaking to their children in a sentence that ends in a period, he said. Right. Every right? sentence ends in a question mark, which is, a, it's one of those things when people point these out to you that it's like, oh, yeah, no shit. But yeah, you don't notice it. It's like but a slow if you burn. you think
1: about it, you, you, you absolutely positively uh, uh, see a pattern there. Oh, yeah.
0: And I, it's funny because I've the, when I first read that, I was like, oh, I'm guilty of this, but my thing is, is I'll say it and then they'll be like, well, I don't want to. And I go, oh, my bad. I should have said it like this.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I, d- I do a joke in the comedy act about just this subject where I say, you know, uh, they say pediatricians are doctors with little patients. I said, you'd have little patients, too, if every time you tried to do a throat culture on a six year old, you had your nuts kicked into your <laughs> chest cavity because mom can't hold two legs at the same time. <laughs> that coupled with the. Do you mind if the doctor looks in your throat for a second, honey? Uh, is uh, what I am up against every single day of my life. And I have only lost my temper once in 25 years of being a pediatrician, and it was over a six year old getting a throat culture. I kicked my stool so hard across the room, the seat snapped in half when it hit the wall. That's how angry this six year old got me with a throat culture.
0: Did you lose it in front of uh, parents and child, or was this after they left and you were just like, Gah, I got to get this out?
1: It was after I had sent the mom out into the hallway because I decided it was better for mom not to even be in the room. But I was going to win. I was going to win this little uh, battle here. And so it was just you and the kid, and you kicked the stool. And, and go. two nurses holding her down on the table. But and I mean, the kid is like biting the tongue depressor, and shards of wood are being spit at me. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Wow. The test was negative for strep, though. <laughs>
0: which made it all worthwhile. (laughs)
1: That's the one and only time I have ever had to have a parent step out of the room because the kid was just, it was all for the mother's benefit. It was not for uh, any other reason than to, you know, make the mother feel bad for her. And it was uh, quite a scene. And then when I got the mom out, she wasn't cooperative, but I got it done. And, you know, all all freaking moms have freaking jello arms. Anyhow, nobody knows how to grab and hold on to a kid anymore. Jesus Christ. I'm so happy when the grandparents come in,
0: <laughs> which is weird because grandparents are wired to spoil like they
1: you know what I mean? But because you, they're it's really different now, the grandparents are the ones that have their senses about them.
0: That's interesting. The because well, and I'm curious because you go through this on the daily is that Is this this thing where you just like, here's what I would imagine. I would imagine if you went back, say, I don't know, 20 years, right, that this would be happening. But it might be one or two parents who would be asking the question. And over the next 20 years, it still hasn't become the majority. But instead of one or two, it's now uh, 15 to 20. So it's growing and it's growing fast. But is it? Or am I wrong? Is it the majority of people now are like, well, let's see if little Steven is ready to have his throat culture taken?
1: Right. Well, all I can say is I just started my 25th year of practicing pediatrics at my office. And um, the problem here is I get older, wiser, more good looking. Uh, But the age of the new mom stays pretty much a constant. Mm -hmm. So this new group of new moms... Seem to be the first ones I'm starting to see from the entitlement generation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, and some of their parents. You know, I take care of now kids of patients I took care of as kids, mm-hmm. and and now their mom, who I was happy to be rid of, is now the grandmother, and she's back. So it's a ah. vicious cycle that I didn't anticipate in pediatrics. Well, see, that's
0: uh, that's my ne- that was going to be my next question is that the way I think we all picture this happening in our head is that, you know, like for me, it's like I grew up and everybody's parents are like my dad. Like that was the predominating way of doing things. Where I it's would like agree. You yes. got slapped. You got knuckled on the head. You got told to sh- knock it off. Idiot. Nobody cared about your opinion and you were fine for it. But then there are these like uh, anomalies. But what you're saying is that it, it is more evolutionary in that there are the, the anomalies have now procreated
1: the way I, Parent my kids is very, I wouldn't say the same. It's, it's you know, less of the beatings, of course, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, but I mean, I'm quick to temper. I mean, I see my dad in a lot of my responses when I was put into situations, and I think a lot of it is learned. You, you tend to parent the way you were parented uh, simply because that's the only example you've ever had set forth for you. Unless you watch sitcoms, but, you know, The Cosby Show, come on.
0: <laughs> uh, the other thing is... should have
1: th- invested all that money in Bill Cosby memorabilia. Oh my that was gosh. a big mistake on yeah. my part.
0: My Well, and it's so funny because Chappelle has a great kind of bunch of jokes about this. Yes. And his new special on Netflix, if anybody's yep. interested. But that, oh, that's great. Well, I mean, he was the reason why I became a comic. It, it, you know, and it's... and Freaking uh, amazing. Oh, my gosh. And so now it's like this thing where whenever you get that asked. You know, ask that question. Who was your, you know, mentor? Or I guess your your, com- your comedy idol. I go. Well, it was Bill Cosby. <laughs>
1: and yeah.
0: then you have to like go take a Silkwood shower after that, just for saying it. Um, yeah,
1: because you can't even say "but old Bill Cosby" because he was raping back. Yes, then exactly right. Like, and then there's another. I think
0: I saw it on uh, YouTube recently where he was filling in for David Letterman when a very young, like a 30 year old, very young Justin uh, yeah, Sophia Vergara. Uh, came on, and she wa- she hadn't even like started on American television or anything. She was just a, a Latin star then, and yep. she come on, and he was being super creepy old guy. But here's the thing: when you watch it, it looks more funny. But when you know the background behind it, you're I like, know. dude, take it down a notch. Oh my god!
1: It well, was- they say in comedy, you always gotta you know be yourself. So I guess it's going to creep through every once in a while and sneak under the radar of those of us that don't know.
0: Yeah, that little mask will shift back and we'll see the real you hiding behind it.
1: Well, Uh, I mean, the the, the whole Spanish fly thing, too, was an old bit. I mean, you saw signs of it in his old stuff, too. Oh,
0: geez, Alou. Uh, But to get back to this, it's uh, some parenting experts told adults that they should offer their children choices instead of telling them what to do. And parents believe them. The hierarchy of parent over child no longer exists, he said. Instead of parents exercising their authority because they know what's best, they're focusing on making children happy and boosting their self-esteem. Now, this is the part that, for me, he doesn't weigh in on this, and maybe he goes into more depth in the book. But the interesting part about this is that I feel like by doing this, by trying to create happiness for their children, weirdly enough, you create depression. Like, I've seen so many examples in my personal life. I'm not saying uh, I've not done a study, but in my personal life, like, really honestly, think about, look around, and the people who are trying and really focused on getting their kids to achieve happiness, don't you see a trend of that kid being less happy? And yet, the parents who are what I think we would all call more normal, they're like, you know, a little more inclined to go, hey, shut up,
1: or something along those lines, those kids are usually pretty well adjusted. Am I crazy? Well, they know, I mean, they know at least right from wrong right. from those parents. There's a, a very, you know, uh, uh, thick border where they're going to say you're crossing the line, and those parents call the kids on it, and the kids learn a little bit of right and wrong, the kids who get bailed out of every situation and then they're sent off to college as freshmen when they're 18 and responsible for themselves, you know, if they don't learn right from wrong and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, resourcefulness and and how to think on your feet as children, they're going to have a hard time when they head off to college. So, you know, I do think that the job of parents is to foster kids to be fine, uh, uh, adjusted, uh, upstanding citizens. By the time they're out of the house, and the only way you can do that is to teach them. They depend. Two-year-olds misbehave because they depend on the parents to tell them what they're supposed to be doing. The terrible twos are just a experimentation time where the kids are trying to figure out right from wrong, and they'll do the same wrong thing twenty times in order to be sure. But you know, they they are they depend on the parents telling them what the rules are, and yeah. that's what. You know, early childhood is these are the rules and the parents have to enforce them. And as I think I may have said before, happiness is not a goal or a standard. It's a feeling like nausea and it comes and it goes, you know, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) <laughs> That's
0: great. Uh, you know what? On that note, we're, I want to come back and talk to you more about this, but I, I want to end on that note. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, if you want to support the show, do me a favor. Go to the dadpodcast.com Go down to the bottom of the page. There's an Amazon banner there. Click on that Amazon banner. Bookmark it as your Amazon link. Every time you go back and buy something through that link, Daddy gets about 5 to 10% of the sale, depending on what it is. Sometimes it's less than 5%. But
1: point is – Like if I were after this to yeah. get – uh, Mr. Dr. Sachs' uh, book, yes. purchased it, uh, and I went through that, you would get a piece of the action.
0: Yes, the collapse of parenting, how we hurt our kids when we treat them like grownups, right? So you go there and I would get a, a little taste. And But the big thing is, is everybody uses Amazon. It doesn't cost you a thing, and all it does is help the show. So just do it, you know? I'm on it. Thank you. So we're back with Dr. J and finishing up this uh, wonderful Leonard Sachs book, The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like grown Not really finishing the book, more just an article written about him and his book. And he says here, uh, he said, this generation of parents are spending more time with children than any previous generation, which is interesting Because like I've talked about, like the kids' Valentine's Day parties where everybody was super nice and it seemed very utopic. So I do think there is a positive trend. I do think that there is a decline in bullying and and those kinds of instances. Honestly, though, I do believe, which may be another topic for another show, is that there is an incline in bullying perception because the bar for bullying has been significantly lowered. That's my personal opinion. But Mm -hmm. in fairness to anybody who's going through this, I have not I've yet to have my kids really bullied. They've had, you know, negative interactions, of course, and they've called it bullying. I'm like, no, no, people are getting, which is, I think, unfair to your kid. If your kid is getting bullied like that, that for my kid to have a kid who says, I don't want to play with you or gives calls him a name because the kid doesn't want to play with him, it kind of hurts my kids feelings slightly for someone who is actually really getting bullied, which is causing real damage that it, 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 it. It waters down that issue, I think, for them because it makes it easier for people like us to kind of wash over. But I'm getting off topic. Um, Instead of spending time at family meals, this generation is spending time shuffling children from one extracurricular activity to the next or spending time doing their work for them. It doesn't help to spend more time with kids if they are spending it in the wrong ways. Right. Right. I was like, I was blown away by that because it is kind of true. You see the trend and I wonder how guilty I am of it. My kids right now, they take a hip hop dance class and then one of them takes a piano class. They would do uh, after school like art things or whatever. But I hit a threshold for me where I go, right. you know what? No more, no more things. We're, we're done. Or you got to give up one thing in order to go to another. And I have this kind of what I would call a new generation uh, conscience where it's like, what if what if what if he's meant to be a, con- a concert pianist and you're you're because his father shit on his dream when he was 8 years old <laughs> it's not going to happen but i the, the, here's what i think when i was young i knew that being funny and making people laugh was something I was into doing. Like I knew that it was a, a thing that I was good at. I never saw it as a job. I never saw it as a skill. It was just something that I liked and I knew I could do. Right.
1: Got me out of a lot of ass kickings. Yes, it got me Absolutely. into a lot of ass kicking it's, too. But same I agree here with that. I, I I knew that very early.
0: And when I hit high school, my dad was very big on me having a job, and I started doing theater. And then I, you know, because I was doing theater, I couldn't work as much. And my dad was like, "This is bullshit," and he just shat all over it. But. I felt so strongly about it that I kept pursuing acting and theater, and I turned it into a profession. And so it would be easy for me to look at my dad and go, fucking old man. But once he saw me making headway, he gave up, and he was super supportive and actually came around. I mean, he still didn't go "Go get him. I was wrong or anything like that. He just said, okay, if this is the life you're going to choose, then the first thing you got to do is learn to manage your money. And then he, he started parenting me in that way, in ways to prepare me for my new lifestyle that I had chosen, which I've always admired him doing. And so I don't know, maybe just throw out there to those of you that kind of feel like you're, I don't think the people listening to the show, if you've got, if your kids have five different activities and the kids are on board, I don't quite think that you're the people who we're talking about here. I think that if you're, if you've got five different activities and you're like, I'm not adding another one. I think the takeaway from this is like, that's okay.
1: And the other piece of this, too, is, I mean, just because you take your kid to the ballpark and you sit in the stands and watch the baseball game, you're there to support him like a good parent. But that's not really time spent with him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's not he's not learning any right from wrong or anything from you in that situation. So you got to find time. Uh, to spend together where it isn't just, you know, time uh, with him talking to the back of your head in the car, driving to a Little League game, you know. Um, And and I found, uh, you know, I mean, something that popped into my head while we were discussing this was, you know, part of the reason that parents need to be somewhat authoritarian in in terms of teaching kids right and wrong is because kids need to instinctually uh, respect adults. And if they don't respect their parents, they're not going to respect other adults. That's
0: a good point. And I think when I look back at my childhood, um, even if I take out of it, if I'm not trying to look at it with the objective of um connections with my dad, if I just look back of some fond memories, they are there are a few of them that revolve around a particular like performance when I was in high school and then there's one when I was young. But the the bigger things, honestly, was just the overall scope of doing that paper out, and that being my dad's idea and having my own money, uh, the, a lot of road trips that I spent mm-hmm. with my dad just sitting in a car where we could just talk about whatever and shoot the breeze. Like that to me always meant more than any trip to Disneyland or, yep. uh, you know, a, a, a water park or any of that kind of stuff. But when you're on the parent side of it, it's hard. It's hard to, to see that.
1: Right. Um, I remember loving to go pick up the pizza with my dad oh one of my favorite things you come home sitting in the front seat with the warm pizza on your lap and you're talking on the way there and on the way back and it's just a stupid trip to pick up pizza but I remember those as being you know fun things uh the time spent alone with my dad you know uh, picking up the pizza the the, the two hunter gatherers going out <laughs> for the pizza whatever it was it is something that is memorable in my memory bank so
0: And so, which seems to be uh, and maybe has always been a common theme running through the show is that, you know, everybody just don't worry. Lighten up. Everything's going to be fine. Just stay invested in the kid and uh, get in their face. And, yeah, Uh, he even gives some – go ahead.
1: I was going to ask if you were going to go over some of the suggestions that he – You read my
0: mind. He says, have family meals at home and make that a top priority. You have to communicate that our time together as a parent and child is more important than anything else. One study found that for each additional meal a family had together, the children were less likely to internalize problems such as anxiety or externalize problems such as skipping school. It also helped children develop good nutrition habits, lessening the obesity problem. Now, I never obviously had an issue with this until I hit high school and I started like going out. And my dad did something that in retrospect I thought was really smart is that he said, listen to me, four nights a week you were going to have dinner here. I don't care what the fuck you got going on. I don't care if it's a job, whatever it is. If you got so if you got to work during dinner time one night, that's one less night you get to go out and screw around. But four nights a week, as long as you're living in my house, you will eat dinner with us. And yeah. I and I remember thinking that it was some kind of like bullshit old school tradition thing. And I just kind of did it. But in reality, in reality, what I didn't realize, because I was a stupid teenager, was that that was his way. When I sat at that dinner table and he could just have a conversation with me, he could get an idea of what was going on in my life. Even even though I wasn't talking a ton, I probably was doing a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knew what I was involved in and what was going on.
1: On a regular basis, not just checking in. Yes, exactly. That's good. That's what parents are supposed to do. And they try to squeeze it into the ride to drop them off at school because, God forbid, they take the bus that picks them up at the end of their driveway and, uh, you know, driving them back and forth to activities. And, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of communication. And the, the, the dinner table is, a, is every so many studies have shown family meals decrease obesity. Uh, the next thing on his list of no televisions or screens in the bedroom also st- Statistically proven uh, to decrease the, the rates of obesity. Those two things are the first two things we recommend when we have kids that are fatties.
0: Yeah, and I'm wrestling with this a little bit myself because um, my wife has a hard rule on TVs in the bedroom, which I'm, I, I'm like, that's fine. You know what I mean? I, do, I think we've talked about it even with you and I, but I do think that if they get to a point where they start making their money and they want to buy a TV to put in their room, then that's fine because to me there's a greater lesson learned. In that you work for something and you earn it, then you get to enjoy it, kind of a thing. Right, but if I right. feel like the kid's becoming recluse and I have no idea who he is or what's going on, then I would, of course, intervene and say, "Well, I'm sorry. Sure, that TV is yours, but it's hanging on my wall, running off my electricity." So you still well, don't I have had the first power. thing I had
1: was a, 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 a record player, and you know I would, I would, I would. Uh, you know, hibernate in my room for hours listening to comedy albums and, you know, some Boston and our EO Speedwagon, of course. Um, but that was our that was my television, my escape. I would go in the room and I'd be antisocial, but I would be listening to music or comedy. So I guess we all have our little escape from things every once in a while, too. Um, but we always had family meals. I never had a TV in my room, though, as a kid.
0: Yeah, I did. I paid for it. Uh, and I would hang out and watch t v shows, but again, like you just said, we would have family meals, so we'd go in there. My sons have two little laptop computers that the school suggested that they get, so they get used to using a keyboard and a mouse because right and so they're in there and there's parts like this summer I've let them just play games, but during the school year i they have like um reading aptitude and uh, math aptitude, that they can essentially continue what they were learning at school. And so I have them do that. And and it's very weird for me. I never thought I would be somebody who puts a cap on it, but I think I'm kind of leaning more towards that where there will be days where I could just tell that they're seeming like a little frazzled or whatever, I get easily cranky, and I go, "Okay, done with the games. Play some toys. Go outside. Swim in the pool." We always go on a walk if I feel like they've been inside too long, just to get out. And we talk as a family during that. I think that's another good way. In case yep. like work schedules don't work out with uh, family meal time, they yep. try to or find family a way. game night. Oh, my gosh. That's the thing. I'm not doing mornings anymore, so I'm not going to bed at 7 o'clock. And I'm so excited for those two things, to be able to incorporate a family game night where we can all be home. And then, number two, every Saturday night before I started working on the job, Natalie and I would go out by our little fire pit after the kids went to sleep and just hang out by the fire and talk about what's going on, make plans for our life and what we wanted. And really, you'll find that the common theme is that you just have to there's lots of opportunities for distraction, which makes it easy to lose connection. And so for the same reason that uh, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, the child development specialist and uh, psychologist who's been on the show before, I'm a huge fan of too. She she talked about how a lot of people don't understand that even in like these things that seem abusive, like she used my dad as an example in my stories, is that because there is a secure attachment with that parent that ultimately everybody works out to be okay. That even though my dad called me retarded and stupid constantly as a kid, he didn't obviously do it more times, but he wasn't also a guy who's like, I love you every day, but he was an affectionate dad. I would give him a kiss on the lips every time when I went to bed up until I was like 22, like, uh, he would hug me all the time. Or if I he ever got mad at me and spanked me and sent me in my room, there was always a time where he would come in and talk to me. So it's all about that connection. Yep. Uh, See,
1: that's the kind of dad I am. That wasn't the kind of dad. My my father was not very affectionate, but he was always there. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, the, the, the stubborn Hungarian, you know, just uh, – uh, you know, but to put his arms around you and say I love you and I'm proud of you—that that, that wasn't—you uh, just kind of knew. You know, that was my I,
0: question. Is that I, I? I'm curious. I was curious to see if
1: uh, you felt unloved or or no. distant from him. No, because I didn't have anything to compare it to at the oh, time. Oh, good point, yeah. You know, so when you're the kid, you you, you know, it's kind of like he's always going to be my dad no matter what I do, and he loves me, and, you know, he used to, you know, discipline me, but I can't think of a time he ever disciplined me uh, that I didn't deserve it, you know. He didn't come home and beat me just because he had a <laughs> bad day at work. It was always a response to something I did, you know, and knowing that was going to be the... You know the result after I did what I did didn't really discourage me all that much. I mean that was that might have been his way of showing me affection and love, so because he was teaching me right from wrong in a very definitive way.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's so great. Uh, I'm looking up because it was. um, I think I want to say that it was on the. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. This is in regards to screen time. I was. What it made me think of is that. I think it's a it's a thing that I think a lot of us in today's world of parenting now it sounds super douchey, but can be aware is to just kind of be yourself and find the comfort in your own skin and stop trying to worry about being something that you're not. because And this meme made me think of it. Uh, Jessica, one of the moms, posted this in Staying Frosty with the Dad podcast is a recent study conducted at a prestigious university proved that prolonged screen time can have negative impacts that prevent learning in children, which is notable. And then it said, person with kids says, cool, a recent study conducted in my living room proved that allowing my children as much screen time as I see fit prevented me from losing my shit, which is also (laughs) notable, (laughs) (laughs) which I think that sometimes we hear about these things and it becomes very digital. It becomes very on or off, but, and you kind of, it's easy to get lost and forget the real thing that they're saying, like in each of these suggestions, he's not saying, don't ever let your kids have a phone or don't let them off to their room and have their own Time, He's saying that just be aware. And as long as you are connected and feel like you are aware of what's going on in your kid's world, then you're fine. Uh, he gets. But I like it. I'm not against it. He In this next one, he gets a little like prison. I saw that they also do this when I was watching All or Nothing on the Rams, this uh, yeah. on Amazon Prime, that all of the players have to put their cell phones in like a basket that's right outside the team meeting room. Uh, It says put screens in public uh, space places and limit how they are used. This generation lives life in a virtual world. Online friends can quickly become more important than the friends children see in person. They don't know how to communicate with someone face to face or have outside interests and hobbies. Video games also rewire their brains work the way their brains work, and what they post online never goes away. Install software like My Mobile Watchdog, which will share every photo that they take or post with you. Now this is where I think. Everybody gets a little bit, uh, I guess, divergent, maybe the right term Mm -hmm. in that it gets very divisive because there are a lot of people, uh, psychologists even, that I've heard that say it sends a very weird message to pry or to snoop into your kid's life and it can create a barrier of trust where it makes them hide things from you. Mm -hmm. I don't know because I haven't had a teenager yet. Uh, and I grew up in a house where I never felt like I had to hide anything because my dad was always kind of like questioning me, not like in an interrogative way, but he just always kind of knew what was going on with me or he could sniff when something wasn't right, even after right. I moved out of the house. And so but without
1: and, all of the surveillance tools available right. to parents nowadays.
0: And all I had was uh, a pager, you know what I mean? And he never really and I had my own phone line. I don't I don't think he ever monitored that. Maybe he did, but. I feel like
1: as long as you weren't making toll calls, everything was cool.
0: Right. Well, I also paid the bill, but the oh, there you go. So but I mean, where do you come down on this? Is that because I don't really if you feel like something's going on. Here's my guess what I'm saying. If your kids, a, a straight A student and you're in there checking their drawers and you know what I mean? And snooping around, then maybe you're crossing a line. I agree. If your kids, you know, teetering uh, with progress reports and, you know, suspensions and stuff like that
1: from the school every day. You're getting emails. Yeah, Then I think you got to figure some some stuff out.
0: Yeah. Then you got to get involved and you shouldn't feel guilty about that. But I think that we always feel like, well, your kids should feel like they trust you. Well, yeah. Unless they're not trustable. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like if your kid's behaving in a way that means I can't trust you. And that was the way my, my if you dad did
1: your job as a parent before they get to the age where they go online and do stuff. And you taught them right from wrong and how to respect people and the rules of, of life. Then you really shouldn't have to uh, monitor them as yeah. closely. If you didn't do your work up front, well, then you're gonna have to do your work now so and there is a little
0: bit of a buffer because i think i think in my opinion my brother and uh sister-in-law went through this a little bit where they just turned my niece and nephew loose on like facebook and stuff like that and had no idea what was going on and so because my brother and sister-in-law weren't really coming into facebook and in that like kind of not so sweet spot of social media where they were now they're getting acclimated to it but they, you know there was a learning curve for them too that i that i remember kind of going ooh i would i would be be careful and i'm not even a guy who's overly protective you know i would watch cuz i would see things that my nephew or niece were posting and i'd be like
1: gee careful, yeah, guys. I know
0: but yeah i think i think you're absolutely right. so you don't think like I, you you think i'm pretty spot on with that it's like if the kids fine yeah. then cuz my dad always like if you were getting Bs or above you could i didn't have a lot of rules but if i started screwing up in school and he was getting contacted, then, then he would be like, what are you doing? He would start intervening in my life a lot. And again, I wasn't even aware of that was why, to be honest. But uh, teach humility, which I think is an interesting thing. Like, how do you like, give lessons that show children that they are not the most important people in the world? They need to be able to see, in the world, see the world through another lens and be able to handle rejection or failure. It really cannot be everybody gets a trophy. And I don't, yeah. I don't know how you can... Uh, I think I accidentally teach humility to my kids in that uh, – and maybe it's in, in, in like – I'm more mimicking what my dad did where – like the example that comes to my mind that think, I think falls into this is when they were fighting over whose side of the car they were getting in. And I said, well, who pays for the car? Do you pay for the car? And they go, no. I go, well, who pays for it? And they go, you. And I said, well, then all sides of the car are mine. So, therefore, it doesn't matter whoever gets into whatever fucking side of the car they need to get on as long as I can get what I got to get done done because I'm the one who matters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's why you need a third child because then there's always someone that's going to make it odd, an odd number. So it's (laughs) – you know, that's that always helps a little bit. You have someone in the middle. There is no side of the car.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's a good point. But, I mean, am I right is that it's like I do a lot of like nobody cares – like – I obviously listen to my kids when they talk, but then when they come up and my my wife and I are talking, we just say, "Hey, we're talking here. Zip it." And I do a lot of like, I pay for things, so therefore I matter. That's the way I see it. Is that a phone agree. call you need to take?
1: And they also need to know that you're the, you know, this is your you're the king of the castle. This is your uh your your place and you make the rules and you know if a parent feels like they're always being the bad guy then they're doing a good job.
0: <laughs> I
1: love that. That's great.
0: Uh, have an alliance between the school and you. If your child did something, don't approach teachers or administrators with suspicion and distrust. Parents swoop in like attorneys, demanding evidence. Sack said instead of lessons of honesty and integrity should be, uh, instead, lessons of honesty and integrity should be enforced. That means that a brilliant kid who cheated takes the zero. And this is, uh, I've had a couple incidents of this where, uh, you know, Jacob was, I had like a note come home, and it was something that seemed kind of not Jacob's behavior, and so I asked for clarification from Jacob. And again, going back to the trust thing, it's like, because I know who he is as a kid, but I also know what he's capable of. And I know so I'll, I, I interrogate him first. That's what yep. I do. I go, what was going on? What happened? Why did you do this? And then if it's something that doesn't seem right, I don't go to the teachers and say, he's telling me that you did something wrong. I go and say, well, what's your version of it? You know what I mean? I treat it like a court of law. I hear both sides. And -hmm. then I use that to extrapolate, based on who, what I know of these people, what is most likely to be true. And in every instance, when I've done it that way, when I go to the teacher or even the administrator, that's when it comes out that says, you know, they just look at the other kid who's involved, and they also know the kids. And so they'll be like... Oh uh, yeah, no. The, probably this is what happened. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And I don't make them apologize to Jacob. I don't make him do any of that because I see that as a moment of saying, like, listen, shitty things happen. That's fine. Yep. Now it's now you have to learn to let that roll off your back,
1: and it's okay. And reconcile, yeah, because you know it's all part of life. This this stuff happens only at a greater magnitude as you get older, and if you don't help kids, you know. Resolve peer relationships and things like that. Um, how do they learn they don't learn they They are not born with an instinctual ability to be able to get along with everybody. It has to be learned and taught, and if we don 't take the time to teach these little lessons when time the the opportunities come up to do it because we 're too busy, they miss out on a lot. I remember my daughter once was late for a class. she left her all star softball signed shirt on the floor, in the locker room at the uh, middle school. And then – and when she came back to get it afterwards, she was shocked that it was gone. And she blamed the teacher that she had to run to class for because she was mean and she would get in trouble if she was late rather than blame her own stupidity for leaving her, her shirt on the floor in the locker room. And I made her aware of the fact that if you don't embrace how dumb you are sometimes and learn from those situations, you'll com- continue to be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What? You, you got to own up to it. You got to teach kids to own up to their stupidity when they make a mistake. Mistakes are teachable moments. Right.
0: Right. And I, they, I do that a lot with lost toys even where it's like, well, if it was that important to you, then you would have taken better care of it. Like it's very simple. Yep. This is one that I am, again, I, uh, this, I never thought I would be a hard-ass parent because I never felt like my parents were real staunchy about stuff. I honestly didn't have a real strong desire to do to these party things, I think. Uh, but it says I per-
1: can't wait until your kids are in their teen years. I know, God, I, I hope the dad, dad podcast is still going oh, it on will because be. trust me, th- those I will can't. be some interesting discussions. If buddy. for
0: nothing else, if for nothing else, I have to do it because I think I've got my foot so ready to just get crammed down my throat uh, everything just,
1: you've said. Ahead, ahead, oh yeah, ahead this time just yes. and it's
0: 18 Thanksgivings of Crow, which is part of the reason why I'm so honest about it is that I'm I'm very curious to see how this shakes out for me. But it says. Know your uh, parent what they do. Know your 14-year-old cannot go to a party with college students or to the beach for spring break. Know they will not be at parties where alcohol is served, and you will not be the one serving it. Uh, you have to think of worst-case scenarios like drinking and driving, alcohol poisoning, and sexual assault, and know that these are not decisions that they are ready to make because they are not adults. They need an adult, and that's you. And even if they're—this is the one that I was like, uh, yes, I agree, but— uh, it's going to be rough to navigate that with your kids, is that even if their peers' parents are fine with something, you don't have to be. Other parents don't have a clue what they're doing, which I think sounds like it's like just a dig, but yeah. it's really more of just a reflection of what we're all just kind of making it up as we go. Right. So why would you automatically assume that this person knows more than you in regards to your kid? He says that's why they are do- what they're doing doesn't have good outcomes.
1: Well, I will give you one example. Uh, My daughter growing up had a friend, and she was the one that was always – doing things ahead of everybody else if you you know what I mean like yeah. her parents were letting her you know drive a car at 14 around a parking lot and her parents brought her to see Titanic uh, and uh, seeing uh, uh, Rose's uh, ample bosoms uh, which uh, uh, I didn't really approve of uh, you know she was you know dating and going on car dates when she was 15 and everything else End result is you know my daughter is a second grade teacher and this kid has spent a number of stints at the Niantic Correction Center for Women and is the mother of a three-year-old. So mm. when he says that's why what they're doing have bad outcomes, well, you know, I, I my end number of one, my example that I use, and, you know, my daughter eventually came around, and you know, when she was in her 20s and said, yeah, I kind of get what you were doing, Dad.
0: Yes, and you that's know. what the last line of this article says. Your kids will thank you, not today, or maybe not tomorrow, but someday, perhaps. And I really think you have to just reflect on your own experiences. I mean, that's what I do is that I'm constantly calling my dad and just thankful for him, and I I use that to remind – I'm doing two things now. Whenever I have these moments of little anxiety or parental um, insecurity, I tell myself – Uh, you know, I think my dad was really harsh on me and I love him for it now as an adult. And then number two is that now I go in there whenever I'm worried about it, I just kind of go, it's not a big deal. Your kids are fine. And I try, I try to rewire my brain and I go in there and I give them a hug and I give them a kiss and I tell them you're great kids and I'm proud or lucky to be your dad or I'm glad you're here. Something along those lines. Yep. And I think that that way I'm turning a negative into a positive in my stupid brain. So, yep. All right, uh, let's take another quick break and then come back and talk more about nail-biting and thumb-sucking. Dr. J., you've done it again, sir. Okay, so uh, this, is, this, is, this is, again, I think we, we seem to keep coming back to that theme of the last time you were talking with us of 1982 parenting, where, you know, just we when you think you're going in the right direction, but maybe you're not. This new study says that nail-biting and thumb-sucking may make kids healthier. So I might need you to walk me through some of the terminology and the science, but basically they studied a thousand subjects of thirty-eight years of age, and they went back and they up to
1: thirty-eight up to. I'm sorry. Oh yes,
0: because there were kids that were five, seven, nine, and eleven years old. I'm seeing that here. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then they what they did was they asked those kids if they were ever thumb suckers or nail biters during their childhood life, whatever. Okay. At age 13, approximately 700 children from the entire cohort underwent skin prick testing. And that would be the little thing where they it almost looks like a 12-pack a of sodas or something that they kind of irritate your skin, and each of them has right. a little something on it. And it's how they would test you for allergies. Am I right?
1: Right, exactly.
0: So 45% showed what it says, atopic sensitization. Now, what does atopic sensitization mean?
1: Allergies. So... L- yeah. Like so, if you're allergic to something, they're going to you're going to have a positive allergy test. They're, what they're saying is that uh, uh, these kids have more um, uh, allergies. Uh, so 45 so, immune system is working.
0: So less than half of them had allergies. So the, the idea being that the kids who are thumb suckers. Uh, or whatever, or nail biters that they had in a sense less allergies because they were right. less. They didn't gay. react
1: to. They Gone. didn't react to stuff.
0: So kids who sucked their thumbs or nail had a significantly low prevalence of sensitization, thirty-eight uh, percent, than those who did not, forty-nine percent. When they segmented the group even further, they found that children who had both habits had the lowest prevalence, thirty-one percent, compared with those who only had one habit at forty percent. So what this is saying is that. If you are both suck your thumb and bite your nails, you have even less allergies. Am I right, right on that? Yep. yep. So this also goes back to the thing that you broke here on this show about the peanut allergy, too, to a certain extent, is that it's by exposing your uh, child to more things, in a sense, it just makes them less likely. And we would assume it's an immune system, right? But- right.
1: It's, it, makes them, it makes their immune system work, right? And uh, it allows them to be healthier adults.
0: Yes. So, but this is even with allergies or is an allergy a part well, of the immune system? I,
1: yeah, I think that's what they're, they're looking here is uh, uh, I don't, I, they're, they're doing basically kids who are sensitiz- sen- sensitized tend to have a lot of eczema, a lot of uh, allergy symptoms, itchy eyes, watery, uh, runny noses and asthma. So um, uh, that's the, those three things always kind of go uh, together. And what they're saying is if you're exposed to um, more germs, there's a less chance of you developing those type of things.
0: And I like here, too, that it also says uh, after developing their hypothesis on nail biting and thumb sucking, they encouraged uh, investigators were encouraged to find a similar study from a few years ago on pacifier use. Yeah, this one comes from Sweden. And what they taught what they did was looked at parents who would like suck their kids pacifier clean. Before giving it or running it under tap water is that what they yep. found is that if you suck the pacifier clean, those kids had a lower risk of eczema, asthma as toddlers um, and uh, as opposed to those that were rinsed with tap water or boiled.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And we, I mean, they're doing fecal transplants now. They're giving, that? you know, mom's poop to a kid whose flora needs to be replenished. I mean, good God, what have we come to? Wait,
0: what? What
1: is that? Fecal so they, transplants. They where cram they a, a the, lot
0: of poop up a baby's butt to put it in their de- intestinal tract?
1: They they give them the maternal uh, fecal flora and uh, get that into the baby's intestines so that the baby will have similar uh, uh, flora. Because, you know, we all kind of get our mom and dad's bacterial flora just from being in contact with them. You know, we we all kind of have a similar um, you know, flora in our intestines. And sometimes you have to, uh, you know, if you have um, surgery or you develop some kind of colitis or something, sometimes they have to replenish the flora that gets washed away. And I've read articles about now um, doing fecal transplants uh, from parents to child uh, in order to uh, replenish their uh, bacterial.
0: Now, I don't, this is mind-boggling to me. Is that
1: yeah? So licking a is pacifier in a, is really in a- isn't a big deal. I kind of blew a little <laughs> door, in that and that say, "Oh, how horrible! Licking your kids' pacifier—that's awful." So I just I, so what do I do? I come up with something more awful. <laughs> but no, I'm like. I'm just trying to figure out – Is it so it's a – We'll talk about fecal transplantation the next time. I'll, I'll find an article and I'll send it to you.
0: All right. But I, I have to – you have to at least answer this question because I'm not I'm, – I'm, my mind is so blown I'm trying to wrap it around. it. so – they they basically
1: like drink it in a slurry. I'm not sure how it's administered,
0: but it's all, it's obviously not just a piece of poop. It's what it is is it's the chemical makeup. Like so I'm sure they break it down and put it. They could yes. they could convert it into a suppository or something like, or at least a liquid gel. They
1: Use a tube like a feeding tube down into the small intestine and administer that way. Uh, you know, you want to bypass the uh, stomach uh, where uh, yeah. it will break stuff down, and of course bypass the mouth where there may be a problem with the taste so it's
0: wild well like i talked we started this episode off talking about the uh, the clinic i'm going to for the diabetes I bet
1: you she does fecal transplantation. There, she might be. Buddha, I don't doctor. know.
0: She, she doesn't do fecal transplantation, but she one of the things that she looks at is that she said there's a bacteria in your oh, gut. You had a
1: school exam. You yeah. had a school exam. Yeah, yes, you did. You'll so, have to tell me that next time I'm on what the results of that are.
0: Yeah, because what they do is they look to see the bacteria levels because there is a certain bacteria that if you have too much of it can make you diabetic. And so then uh, she puts you on a form of like a medication to help reduce that. But that is wild. So – yeah, big big overall moral of the story on this one is, you know, don't
1: dirty kids make make for healthy adults.
0: Let them lick a gutter.
1: Uh, <laughs> the um, pig pen from the Peanuts uh, series never got sick as a grown up ever. But-
0: Again, it's not anal. It's not digital here. It's very analog in the sense. It's not on or off. So just because uh, we say yes doesn't necessarily mean that you should be encouraging your kid to suck their thumb, or uh, because that could cause still dental issues and stuff like that. As far as teeth, nothing growing an in.
1: orthodontist can't fix.
0: True, true, very true. So okay, then maybe are you saying that regardless of how old the kid is, don't worry if the kid's sucking their thumb, just let it ride.
1: I I emphasize the hygiene issue of it with kids that are old enough to understand it. So, you know, I tell them, you know, if that's your soothing mechanism, well, use it when you need to soothe, when you're falling asleep or you're nervous or something. But, you know, limit it to those situations. Don't do it in public because every time you touch a surface and you put your fingers in your mouth, you're taking somebody else's germs and just – injecting them right into your body and they get to be about third fourth grade seven eight years old they start to understand that a little bit they understand germ theory i mean if you you know touch the metal on the water fountain you're going to have the vomiting bug in three days they kind of get it after a couple of times
0: <laughs> and uh and then uh, with the nail biting because my wife is very anti-nail biting i'm a i'm not a nail biter I guess, or I've have been if, if they're long enough, like I don't chew them down to where there's no white part on my nail or even chew on my cuticles. But I when I'm thinking like I'll kind of stick in and, and run them across my teeth, like almost cleaning underneath them. And that grosses my wife out like she is disgusted by it. Jacob doesn't do it at all. But Jack, my little one, does. And he's actually bit a nail where it starts to peel. and it gets almost too short. And so that's when she gets on him saying, stop biting your nails, stop biting your nails. But what I'm going to start saying is, it's okay to put your fingers in your mouth a little bit, as long as you're not like drawing blood and all that stuff.
1: Right? You know, and, and the other thing too is that uh, nail biting can cause nail bed infections. Sometimes you get like an ingrown nail or mouth bacterial infect the the cuticle. Uh, you can. I've also seen kids who have like a mouth sore. Who bite their nails, and then they can get a secondary herpetic infection on the uh, nail that they're biting too. So there, you know, there are some medical complications that can happen with nail biting. Uh, and uh, my older daughter was a nail biter. I think through her entire childhood, I don't think I ever trimmed a nail on her body ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny because I don't think my parents ever did. I think I just kind of figured out how to do it. With uh, with my, with my own teeth as I was uh, as I was a kid. Well, it looks like we are going to have time with this. I did not think that we would. Uh, I actually did for my uh, pitch for me to do a slot on KFI. I did something similar. Is that there's a frog slime that kills the flu virus, and I love these kinds of things. I stumbled upon this was a tarantula venom in Australia that they found that if. If uh, a version of the protein that they would take, or I think they're calling them peptides, actually. It's what makes up a protein, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, that, they, that they would could take a peptide out of this tarantula venom, and if they mod, you know, modified the dosage, they could administer it to a patient. If they've had a stroke within 90 minutes, they could actually slow down the damage that the stroke is doing to their brain by giving them this tarantula venom. And yep. I, I'm fascinated by all these things where, you know, because it makes you a guy who went to medical school in my mind into a witch doctor shaman with a bone in your lip because <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they can do this kind of stuff. But what it says here is that anti-flu peptides could become handy when vaccines are unavailable in the case of like a new pandemic strain right. or when right. circulating strains become resistant to current drugs. So as what they're saying is, is that knowing that this frog slime Works And it's easier to like harvest it than it is to say, manufacture your own uh, manufacture vaccines is that if you had this on the side and you ran out of flu vaccines that it could work or is this this right, probably isn't more for America, it's more for a smaller third world nation or what are we talking about here?
1: And that's true. Sometimes, you know, you get hit with a new strain of flu, too, that may not be in the vaccine that you're given that year. So that having a backup plan is uh, a great idea, you know, and nature might be the place to look for some of this stuff, you know?
0: That is why. And it's interesting. Is that, so is this research that's always happening? Like they're always yeah. just messing with animals in some way, shape or form to see what they can find? And
1: is that's that a, a good question? How the hell they figure out? Right frog slime is going to help kill flu viruses. Uh, well, I, I think that the article said they had it had antibacterial properties and then they tried it with uh, other things and they uh, uh, they found that it worked uh, some antiviral, too. But it, sometimes the nature backfires. I sent you that article about the uh, Lone Star tick yes. causing people to develop an allergic reaction to red meat. So, you know, it's not all good.
0: Yeah, and he says, that the thing you're talking about, he goes, I, this is what I love about this, and his name is Jacob, which I is funny. The doctor who kind of was a part of this discovery, uh, or his last name is Jacob, I should say. Yep. He said, I almost knocked off my chair, or I was almost knocked off my chair. In the beginning, I thought that when you do drug discovery, you have to go through thousands of drug candidates, even a million, before you get one or two hits. And here, we did 32 peptides, and we had four hits. So am I right in my understanding in this is that what he's saying is that they ran... 32 tests and got four examples of where this would work out as an actual vaccine.
1: Right. Wow.
0: Wow. All off of a frog.
1: Off of frog slime.
0: That is awesome. That is, but I'll have
1: parents refusing that vaccine because it was manufactured with frog slime. So, trust me, <laughs> so there's going to be some negative, yeah, so con- uh, so- some negative side effect of frog slime that happens one in three billion times. Some, uh- some parents going to bring in an article from you know WebMD or Google and argue with the the, the frog slime articles that I've uh, read. So you know it's 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 never ending. It's just a merry go round of frustration. God get me off.
0: Uh I like that idea that what do they make the actual flu vaccine out of? Is that something that's entirely chemically engineered or do you know?
1: Yeah, it's all proteins. Now it's all uh used to be uh you know partial Uh, live uh, vaccine, Uh, the flu mist, which I don't know if that will be available again this year or not, that was a live uh, weekend flu. But the injectable vaccine is uh, a couple of proteins that are uh, common to the the strains of flu. So there's nothing that's live about the flu vaccine. It's all uh, manufactured. That's awesome.
0: I love it. And is it still like a a variation of the virus, just like weakened, like almost dead, so your body can come in and not, see it? Not, pick- in
1: the, uh, not in the injectable form, but in the uh, flu mist, that was what it was. It was a weakened one, so your body would react to a weakened strain and develop immunity if you had uh, contact with the uh the circulating strain.
0: And why is it that they can't uh, inject you with just the weakable strain, or is there a reason why they don't?
1: nobody would get the flu vaccine, because everybody at this point thinks they get sick from getting the flu vaccine, but there is nothing in the injectable flu vaccine that can possibly give you an illness. It might give you a reaction where your arm is sore for a couple of days, but it's not going to give you the flu, because there is nothing in the vaccine that transmits the flu from vaccine to human it's all inert inactivated nothing alive in it and yet people still believe you walk down the street i guarantee more than half of the people is if you said uh, can you catch the uh, flu from the flu vaccine i guarantee more than half say yes and it's just not true so if you had a, a flu vaccine that could possibly uh transmit the flu you know, give you the flu, uh, then 100 percent of people wouldn't want to get the flu vaccine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I laugh, but it is it's 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 just mind blowing to me that you could have someone who is as educated as yourself be challenged by somebody, I know I'm over-exaggerating here, but challenged by somebody who maybe has a GED or like me as yeah, an associate. Like a mom
1: who just refers to her kid's belly button as the umbiblical cord. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I yes. live that horror every day. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dr. J. You know, the, the, there has not been uh, thimerosal in any of the, the routine childhood immunizations uh, since the late 1990s, okay? And yet the only one that has it is the multivial flu vaccine. So once a year, unless you get the pre-filled syringes, there's no thimerosal in those. But if your doctor gets the multivials, then there is a small amount of mercury that you get exposed to once a year in the flu vaccine. But none of the other vaccines have thimerosal or mercury in it. When I started in 1993, every childhood vaccine had Thimerosal as a preservative in the vaccine. Christ, thimerosal was in Visine eye drops. Okay, so thimerosal was all over the place, and we had lower levels of autism in 1993 than we have now. We have <laughs> taken all of the mercury out of the vaccines, except for the smidge that you get with the flu vaccine if your doctor uses multivial uh, doses uh, bottles. I mean, and uh, people still uh, think that the flu vaccine is just full of mercury. <laughs> oh that's good stuff Doctor just j. chock full of mercury <laughs> and if you think about it less less autism 1993 maybe the mercury in the vaccines was helping
0: <laughs> uh all right that was our show if you want to find out if uh, dr j is coming to a uh, city or comedy club near you you can go to stand Up, pediatrician.com. Follow him on the Twitter at Dr. J. Sute. Uh, You also will bump into him at the, uh, our fan group. It's staying frosty with the dad podcast run by butcher drew. All right. All right. All right. And it's a great way to find other like-minded parents that you can go and chat with them and hang out with them. There's funny jokes like that meme I discussed earlier on in the show. And, uh, I think that's about it. Anything else from you, Dr. J.
1: No, sir. Uh, we'll do this again in a month, I hope.
0: Yes, we will. We'll figure out a day and have you back on. Thank you again. On behalf of Dr. J, this is Justin warship saying hug your kid, hump your loved one and stay frosty, my friend.